0: 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. I'm going to ask you to do something unusual today. Um, when we get to the word comfort, I'm going to pause and you can all say comfort after me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the
1: word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Reverend Mark McDonnell, the minister here, and it's great to be here with you this morning. I want you to think about two uh, great leaders, two people who are pretty famous and have changed the world, and that would be uh, Nelson Mandela and Mother Teresa. Now, I wonder what comes to mind when you think of those two people. Uh, perhaps we actually think of their greatest achievements when we think about them. So we think about how um, you know, Nelson Mandela brought uh, South Africa back together and, and led the country into a new era. We think about uh, Mother Teresa who founded a whole way of caring for the most poor and the most needy and the most vulnerable in India, but also changed the way that we perceive how we care for poor people in general. And we can think about those two who've who've achieved great things. I think even Mother Teresa's had a a, a international prize named after her that's given in her honor uh, year after year. These two people who've who've reached the top of their influence in the world. But I wonder what they were like in their 20s. I wonder what Mother Teresa was like as she was uh, signing up to be a very traditional nun. The type of nun that she was later on in life wasn't the type of nun that she signed up to be. She was in a rich private school uh, as a nun. I wonder what she was like when she was learning to follow God. Probably wasn't the great human being who served God that she was later on in life. Again, I wonder what Nelson Mandela was like as a, as a mid-twenties something, long before he was put in jail. He's probably maybe had, had an idea of something of what he was gonna do in life, but probably was also quite a, a, a an angry man, I don't know. You see, we think about people who've achieved great things and we sum up their totality of life and that's what we think they were like most of their life. So, when we describe Mother Teresa or we describe Nelson Mandela, we describe them as they are, as they died with all of their achievements. We don't describe them in their early 20s when they were looking forward to life. And again, sometimes when we think about St. Paul, the great missionary who started churches right across the, the, the Roman Empire and wrote many letters that we now call the New Testament Scriptures, we think about St. Paul and we think about the totality of his life and that's how we perceive Paul. And so what's interesting is we, that, that great idea that we have of St. Paul, when we study 1 Corinthians, we apply the greatness of St. Paul to the person who wrote 1 Corinthians But actually, the difference in Paul between when he wrote 1 Corinthians and when he wrote 2 Corinthians is quite stark. Uh, N.T. Wright, a, a Bible scholar and an Anglican bishop said, imagine you're following someone down the street who you know, and you see them walk into a pub, and you kind of pause out the front, and then next thing they come staggering out of the pub, all bloody and bruised. You kind of think, what happened inside that pub? What happened to them between when I first saw them all in a good state to now, when they're in a beaten-up state, and N.T. Wright says that what that's what uh, 2 Corinthians is like. We see Paul beaten up and worn down by a life of ministry that's not really the same kind of brash uh, confronting. Uh, person who writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians he says to them, you know, you've got this sexual immorality, sort it out. You've got this problem with uh, uh, not caring for the poor, sort it out. You've got these problems with order in worship, sort it out. You've got these problems with uh, the use of spiritual gifts, sort it out. He's quite bold in his uh, way in which he communicates and 2 Corinthians is quite different. He's almost been rejected by the church in Corinth, and he has to write to them to sort of say, actually, God uses us in our weakness, not our strength. And so, what we have here is that Paul planted many churches. In 1 Corinthians, he was the leader who planted that church. But then, after 1 Corinthians, things don't go according to plan, and they start following other people that we sort of sometimes hear as super apostles, people who were uh, better preachers than Paul. Uh, they were more wealthy and more connected than Paul. They didn't seem to have the weakness that Paul had and so the Corinthians who were driven by this idea of following prestige and status actually start to follow these super apostles and, and or false apostles and, and start to ignore Paul. So, Paul uh, visits them in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Paul visits them and that visit doesn't go well. It's kind of a, a, a visit of pain and then also Paul uh, had planned another visit but he doesn't actually get there and so the Corinthians don't like the fact that he said he was going to visit but he never does. And then there's another letter that Paul writes which is probably actually more accurately 2 Corinthians. So, what we have in the Bible is 2 Corinthians. is probably at least 3, maybe even 4 Corinthians and so this letter disappears. We don't know whether Uh, why it disappears but we don't have any record of it but Paul references in what we call 2 Corinthians this other letter that he sent and so finally Paul writes this third letter that we call 2 Corinthians and he has suffered a lot since 1 Corinthians. He's also learnt a lot, He's, he's a little bit older, he's a little bit more experienced, he's planted other churches and so it's this sense that we see the growth in Paul's ministry. This, this sort of super-apostle that we think of as Paul, the great missionary that started many churches that we read about in the New Testament letters, we actually see the frailty of Paul. And so, between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we see this difference. It's a bit like um, we read the Scriptures, in the, we read the gospel, sorry, and we hear Jesus promise all these things And then we read in the book of Acts how the Holy Spirit delivered on all the things that Jesus said that would happen in the church. And so, in a way, as we look at 2 Corinthians, we kind of see the growth in Paul and the church in Corinth and it's a reminder to us about how things happen and how things grow and how things develop and how things change. And so, today... I want to study Paul talking about comfort in these difficult circumstances when he has a distant relationship with this church in Corinth. That, in a way, the fact that he even writes to Corinthians after all that's happened probably shows that he has a love and affection for these Corinthians who are starting to reject him anyway. And so, in a way we come to 2 Corinthians and this passage today. But we probably need to look at some of Paul's other writings to give us a sense of what Paul's talking about here. So, for example, in uh, this week I actually did a funeral um, at, at, here at the church and, and they chose a reading from Ephesians, uh, it's from Romans 5. And in the book of Romans, Paul actually reminds us that in baptism, in baptism, we are brought into the death. Jesus. And so, if we're brought into the death of Jesus, we'll be brought into the life of Jesus. It's, It's a great reading for a funeral because it's a reminder to somebody who was baptized into Christ that they'll now rise with Christ in eternal life. This sense that what we get is what happened to Jesus and what happened to Jesus happens to us. That's part of the themes that Paul is writing to his churches about. And he pack, unpacks it here. And so, if we participate in the death of Jesus, we'll also participate in the resurrection of Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is saying, well, we participate in the death of Jesus, but we also participate in the suffering of Jesus. Just as Jesus suffered, we too should expect that we're going to suffer. Now, we could think broadly in terms of suffering, that life doesn't always go in a rosy way. But I think Paul is also reminding the Corinthians that in the same way that as the ministry of Jesus developed, where he started preaching to the world, that the kingdom of God was breaking into the world, and that he indeed was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, for three years he did that and he got into increasingly more trouble as that... Uh, message unfolded. And therefore we can expect as we start to share the gospel with people that we will indeed get pushback, we will get uh, critiqued for it, we will get uh, criticised for it, we will even get perceived as being a bit weird for it. Not that they're badges of honour that we should seek, We should actually seek to clarify the gospel in a way that unbelievers would put their faith and trust in Jesus. But just as Jesus, as he proclaimed the kingdom of God was at hand and that challenged people and some people rejected him, therefore we too should expect that as we present the gospel to people, they might actually feel uh, challenged by it. And so Paul says that what happens to Jesus happens to us. And so, Paul wants to share with the Corinthians the hardship that he has experienced. They're saying to him, what we gather between these two letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, is that they're saying, well, look, these other people come on and start preaching the gospel and they're very eloquent in how they do it, but they also charge money for presenting the gospel. And Paul comes, and he's a humble tent maker, and he doesn't ask them for money, but he presents the gospel, and he's not that eloquent in his presentation of the gospel, but he's got a fervent love of who Jesus is. And Paul is saying, one of the reasons that I have a fervent love of who Jesus is, is because of the hardships, of because of my weakness. As I experience those weaknesses and those hardships and the suffering I turn to Christ. And so in verse 8, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed about the hardship that we've suffered. Paul did not always receive a warm welcome for preaching the good news of Jesus. You think this is the greatest news anyone could have. The greatest story ever told is of Jesus' suffering and death on the cross and rising to new life to save all of us. What great and glorious news! Surely people want to hear that, but they don't. It challenges them. And so perhaps it's not good news to those who are corrupted by sin and evil. Perhaps some of the people who had pagan practices and pagan ways of living and had a vested interest in some of those pagan practices and developed businesses around that become threatened by the preaching of Paul, the preachers and ministry of Jesus and grace, and that all these pagan practices where they have to buy things to earn their way into the, the, the pleasing the gods. And Paul comes along and says, you don't have to buy anything or earn anything. It's a free gift of grace from Jesus. It starts to challenge the people that hear the message. And so Paul is beaten up. Paul is put into prison. Paul is run out of town. Paul has been shipwrecked and Paul has been bitten by a deadly snake. Paul did not have an easy life and yet he shares this with the Corinthians to remind them that in his suffering he was comforted by Christ. And so Paul in verse 5 reminds us that just as the suffering of Christ overflows into our life, also the comfort of Christ overflows into our life, And it's a great way that we read that reading today, just being, hitting those words of comfort. Paul is trying to remind us, yes, we suffer with Christ. He, he doesn't want us to be naive of that, but in that, the comfort of Christ will come to us. As Paul shared in the suffering of Christ, he was brought into a deeper relationship with Christ, And Paul wants the Christians in Corinth and perhaps he wants us to know today that our relationship with Christ, not our circumstances, brings us comfort. Remember that. It's our relationship with Christ, not our circumstances, that brings us comfort. In a way, it's a real challenge to the prosperity gospel where people think, well, the more I believe, the the better my life will be. No, actually the more you believe, the more you'll be comforted by your relationship with Christ and even in the midst of terrible circumstances, you'll be comforted because of Christ. Remember in Philippians, Paul has been through all different types of circumstances. He's saying lift your eyes off your circumstances. Paul knows what it's like to have a great abundance. He knows what it's like to plant churches and see people come to Christ. He knows what it's like to have people reject him for supposed super apostles. He knows what it's like to be shipwrecked. He knows what it's like to be in despair. He knows every type of circumstance. And he said none of that matters because it is Christ who strengthens him. It's Jesus who strengthens Paul and he's encouraging the Corinthians and he's encouraging us to say it's Jesus who strengthens us. You know, there are many things that people say about God and there are... There are a few things that people say about God and they almost kind of think they're like Scripture, but they're not. You ever heard uh, cleanliness is close to godliness? I don't think, if you find that in the Bible, let me know. I haven't seen it in the Bible. Um, Have you ever heard that other one, God helps those who help themselves? Not not in the Bible. But people kind of say it's a bit like Scripture, but it, you know, it's not. But there are two unhelpful sayings that come in times of suffering and people say these supposed platitudes but they actually are, are quite dangerous and quite unhelpful and, and one of them uh, is for people who are young and they'll say only the good die young it's not that's not a real helpful phrase and people say it as though it's kind of got the weight of scripture but it actually doesn't and doing the funeral for Persephone who died at 93 we, we, how does that how does that apply to her because she died living a good life at 93. Only the good die young, That doesn't make any sense at all. And here's another one which is quite dangerous. God never gives you more than you can handle. God never gives you more than you can handle. People say that and there's a platitude that we say to people to try and strengthen them in a time of suffering. So we say that to people as though somehow that's meant to bring them comfort. But what if they look at their circumstances and they say, well, I can't handle these circumstances at all. What if they're not comforted because actually you're suggesting to them that somehow God has given them everything they need to face the things that they're going to go through before they go through it, but they're in the midst of it and they can't seem to handle the circumstances. So, maybe they don't have a good enough faith. So, it's not really true. What happens when people go through heartbreak? They go through suffering, And they go through trauma. And what happens when people think that that suffering is more than they can handle? What are they meant to do with God never gives you more than you can handle? Because the implication of that is that God has given you stuff that you haven't recognised. Well, I'm here to tell us today, and Paul tells us, Paul tells us the exact opposite. Paul actually says the whole point is that we come to realise that we cannot handle the suffering that we're in. The great missionary, one of the heroes of the early church says in verse 8 that he received more pressure, more suffering, more heartache than he was able to handle. It was even to the point where he thought death was better than the suffering and the pressuring that he was enduring. So, if Paul, who was a great apostle, didn't have the skills to handle everything that God had given him, then how are we expected to handle everything that God has given us? Well, maybe the idea that Paul wants us is that God doesn't prepare us before our hardship, but God actually accompanies us through our hardship. The point in verse 9 is that we come to rely on God and not ourselves. In verse, um, in verse 9, Paul says we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but rely on God who raises the dead. Paul is actually reminding us that the the, the challenge for us is suffering. Yes, it's hard to go through but we don't have to kind of have self-help skills to help us get through it as though we've somehow got everything we need within ourselves to face the suffering. Paul's saying that's an opportunity to turn to God and in our relationship with God, we get comfort from God. Corinthians look at the hardships at Paul and, and the hardships that he endure and they pity, but Paul wants to remind them that what appears to be his weakness is actually the thing that strengthens him. Paul is saying that his faith is stronger, he is more reliant on God, he has a deeper understanding of what God has done for him through Jesus because of the hardship and the hard circumstances that he's gone through. And if we've ever been through hard circumstances, perhaps you know that you too have not been able to face it. You've not been able to deal with it and you've needed to uh, turn to God. But I don't want us to have the impression that this is a simple process. Well, this is a quick process, that we go through something uh, really challenging And and we endure great suffering and then we just say, oh, well, God's got it all under control. No, this actually takes uh, a long period of time. It takes a lot of journeying, a lot of working. Perhaps one of the reasons that we don't have this letter in between 1 and 2 Corinthians is because actually God wanted to see the whole journey of Paul before we get two Corinthians as part of our scripture. We don't know. But I know in my own life, that there have been times of, of extreme heartache and extreme difficulty, and there haven't been things that I've been able to get over easily. To, 2011 was a particularly challenging year for us. Uh, Lisa was pregnant with our daughter Zoe, and after giving up uh, work, uh, because of some complications, uh, we discovered that Zoe had actually died at, at 24 weeks. And it was actually a real difficult period for us. And I'll be honest and say, that I didn't have the strength to face. And these platitudes of God doesn't give you more than you can handle, well, I definitely couldn't handle that period in my life. And it was a really challenging time. And for somebody who uh, has has always had a strong faith in Jesus, I didn't know what this meant. I didn't have the answers. And really, other than knowing that God was still present with me, I didn't know where the light at the end of the tunnel was going to be. And it seemed at times that that no matter how many times family and friends uh, offered me comfort in words, it didn't seem to be comforting. But strangely, what was comforting is people said that they would pray for me. And I didn't know what they were praying But it was comforting to know that they would pray for me and it wasn't a simple process of me just trusting in God and getting over it. It was weeks and months of grief, of of processing this grief with people, uh, receiving prayer ministry from people and lots of moments of feeling empty. But in that period of drawing closer to God, we saw a way out of the darkness and the light seemed to be moving to Melbourne as Lisa got a job here in Melbourne. It was an opportunity for a new beginning. And as people prayed for us as we transitioned from Sydney to Melbourne, it seemed as though there was a a new uh, sense of light and hope opening up for us here in Melbourne. And Lisa was offered this job and that job has been a blessing to our family until this week when Lisa gave up that job and finished up there. There's been many things in this last 11 years in our journey in Melbourne that have actually been great delight and joy. And I think about all those people who were praying for me and also praying for me at my ordination. In many ways, the people who prayed for me in my darkest time were also journeying with me in the best times in my last 11 years. And in many ways, we can see that this is what Paul is talking about at the end of this passage. This passage which is talking about comfort and suffering And we might think, well, do we just say Jesus is going to be our comfort? No, what we do is we turn to people and ask them to pray for us. Not only does going through difficult times lead us into a deeper relationship with God, it should actually lead us into a deeper relationship with our Christian. We should be asking people to pray for us. And so Paul says um, in verse 11, And you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in the answer of the prayers of many. Paul is saying, he's asked the Corinthians to pray for him and they thought he they were helping somebody who was weak. But actually, when Paul succeeds in his ministry, when Paul plants churches and continues to share the gospel, the Corinthians can ca- take great delight in they prayed for Paul and Paul has been strengthened in his suffering. And now, Paul, who is stronger, is praying for the Corinthians who are going through difficult times. When people pray for one another, they can take great delight when people move from suffering to a time of peace and joy. And so, perhaps there's been people in your life that have prayed for you in a period of suffering. Maybe there's people that have prayed for you in a period of darkness. Maybe there's people who've prayed for you when you've gone through something challenging and difficult. Paul reminds us in verse 10 that it is God who delivers us. But in Colossians we read that we need to give the glory to God. In Colossians 1.27 it says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches and glories of this mystery which Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The hope is in our relationship with Jesus and that God delivers us. For some people, going through suffering and heartache and hardship, I'd, I'd have to be honest and I can't, I can't whitewash it for you, some, for some people the only hope is eternal life. They won't actually see an end to their suffering in this life and and one of the great joys and hope that we have is eternal life where there is no more pain is no more heartache, is no more illness, is no more suffering in the human body. But God also gives us times where we're delivered from our suffering in this life. And when we have had people pray for us, if we are delivered from our suffering, then tell the people who've been praying for you. Don't just ask for prayers in the hardship. When you get delivered from that hardship, remind them of the way in which you've been delivered so that they can thank God that their prayers were answered and that your prayers were answered. So we need to testify to God. We need to testify to what God has done in and through us in a time of suffering. Perhaps just like the church in Corinth where they thought status was in having it all together. We can see that in our own world. Perhaps just like the church in Corinth where they thought status was in having good connections with connected, wealthy, influential people. Perhaps we can see that In our world today. Perhaps like the church in Corinth where it was your position, your wealth, the the influential house that you had, we can see that in our world today. And perhaps just like the church in Corinth where Paul was offering their weakness and saying this is an opportunity to turn to Christ, perhaps we and our world around us can actually see our own weakness, our own frailty and see this as an opportunity To turn to Christ. So let me pray for us. Gracious God, we praise and thank you for the Scriptures. We pray that we who are weak may be strengthened by you. That rather than thinking that somehow we have to do it all ourselves, we can turn to you and we can turn to our brothers and sisters for comfort. And we pray that as we see prayers answered, we may give the glory to you who is our Saviour. And we make this prayer in Jesus' mighty name.